0: Check out our daily articles on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Search for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725 online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed Veterans and First Responders Treatment Program offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center, call 888 991 9725. That's 888 991 9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Massachusetts, we have retired police officer Mario Oliveira joining us on the phone. Mario, thanks so much for joining us on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Well, thanks for having me, Jay. It's a pleasure to have you, and I'm glad that we uh, get to talk. We had a quick conversation earlier getting prepared for this. You told me a little bit about your story, and you told me about a great organization that you uh, co-founded. Uh, let's talk about this organization first, what it is and what it does.
1: Absolutely. So. Uh, I co-founded this organization with uh, my partner, Robert DiNapoli, who's a retired police officer from Woburn, Massachusetts, who was also shot and nearly killed in the line of duty. And what was unique about Bob is he went through the same emotional, unnecessary emotional trauma that I did in the process of retirement after being shot and nearly killed. And we were our sounding board for one another. But moreover, we came up with a plan to try to make positive change in law enforcement. And our plan was to create an easier pathway for critically injured officers to retire without the politics getting involved and in getting in the way of for an officer to retire and receive and receive their pensions.
0: And believe it or not, a lot of people don't understand this. The news media always says, like in the case of your shooting or others, the officer will survive. And they don't talk about what happens afterwards. They don't talk about how their lives are changed or impacted. And they certainly don't talk about the the, the hell they get put through with trying to retire. And it's not just a Massachusetts thing. It's a United States thing. All across the United States, these officers are brutalized by their departments, their jurisdictions, and and workers' compensation.
1: That's correct. And what's interesting is, you know, when, when an officer dies in the line of duty, there are benefits that are afforded to their family, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. And to be quite honest with you, you can't put a price on a human being's life. No. You can't. But what's weird is, you know, you have benefits afforded to your family when you die. But when you survive, More often than not, you're taking a pay cut, and then they tell you you can't earn more than a certain amount of money, so you get kicked in the rear end a second time. Mm -hmm. You essentially get punished for surviving.
0: Financially and and emotionally, and the families suffer. That's right. It's not just our law enforcement officers and our first responders that suffer. And by the way, it's not just police officers they do this to. It's our firefighters, our EMTs, corrections officers. They do it to all of them.
1: Yeah, the very people that they depend on each and every day, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. The folks that are not at home or not sitting at the Thanksgiving table or at home when their children open up Christmas gifts at Christmas, they're out protecting these very people who are yeah. supposed to be providing you know, laws and benefits to protect us when we need it most.
0: Right. and And we're asking them people like you and me and bob and others to handle the parts of society that no one really wants to acknowledge exists the really ugly side the very violent side of our society which is prevalent agreed it's not just it's not everybody it's not a huge percentage of people it's but that small percentage is the ones that, that create so much havoc for our communities and and our first responders. So let's talk again, the name of your organization and where can people get more information about it?
1: Uh, They can go to our website, it's uh, uh, Vipo911.org, V-I-P-O 911.org, and Vipo stands for Violently Injured Police Officers.
0: And right now, you've got. I went to your website. Uh, I know a lot of the people that are on there. I have not met your partner, Bob, yet. I hope to meet him soon. I've had conversations with Jesse Hartnett from Philadelphia Police Department. I hope to have yep. him on the show sometime in the future. We had an interview with uh, Norwalk, Connecticut. Officer Phil Rosell's wife, Debbie, talking about what mm-hmm. happened to them and what's still going on with them. And there's uh, some right. great people that you have um, in, as part of the organization. I mean, some real all-stars. Yeah, and these are these are folks that Bob and I are trying to help every day. As a matter of fact,
1: I was just on the phone with Debbie Rosell about a half hour ago, you know, thinking some strategy, how we're going to approach approaching her chief and the mayor of the Norwalk, Connecticut, to see how they can best help Debbie and her family and her husband, yeah. especially.
0: And it's not something they seem to be wanting to do voluntarily. I'll say this. If you heard the interview with Debbie Rizal, if you didn't, one of the things she talks about, and I don't want to go into a lot of details about it, but she talks about they held a fundraiser charity get-together for Phil. He was shot in the line of duty accidentally while at work by a supervisor and the chief of police didn't even show up for the fundraiser had it been in line of duty funeral I guarantee you the chief would be there the mayor would be there all the city council people none of them showed up that's Embarrassing. It is embarrassing. And that's the sad state of what really happens for our law enforcement officers and their families. And I'm glad you have Vipo. I'm glad you have your organization. Again, what is the website?
1: It's uh, Vipo911.org. V-I-P-O-911.org.
0: Now, how long were so we are, you a police officer?
1: So I was a police officer for almost 17 years. I had been assigned as, I was a, a detective at the time of the shooting. I was, I'd was I been a detective for 10 years, my last 10 years of my police career, and assigned as a federal task force officer with the ATF in Boston.
0: How would you describe what you thought of being a police officer? Did you like it? Did you love it? Was, were you passionate about it? I ate, slept,
1: and drank being a cop. I loved being a police officer.
0: Yeah, and that's the way I was too. And it's the way I know so many people are. And there's parts out there that it start off that way and then they get a little burned out and they're just like this through the job. But there's so many that are so dedicated to their communities. And that's really what they do. And I don't know about you, when I had to be retired, granted my injuries were nowhere near as severe as yours, which we will talk about after the break. When I had to be retired, it was a huge loss for me.
1: It's a loss of identity, not just a loss of your capability, your physical capabilities and your mental state of mind you you also lose your identity. you know being a cop is not just a job to most of us who really love what we do, that becomes who we are,
0: yeah. It's a vocation. I, I, I tell people, and a lot of people don't believe it, I went to a high school seminary, I thought very, very strongly for, and long for about being a priest, uh, and they decided that celibacy was not for me. And then the next thing was, well, then I want to do some of work with people to help people, and I wanted to be a police officer. And it was the same kind of calling. Uh, without the religious aspect, it was a vocation. I agree. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the night and the incident that Mario was shot and injured and how it changed his life both physically and mentally you're listening to Law Enforcement Today Show we're going to take a short break we'll be right back <laughs>
2: Rates based on a man, age 42, with no tobacco use of any form for 20 years. Policy number 25, policy underwritten by various life insurance companies. Premium includes a $50 policy fee. Rates and underwriting criteria subject change at any time. Not available in some states. You've heard those term life insurance ads with their rates read very low. And at the end, they have a long disclaimer read extremely fast. Why? Because most people like us will never qualify for those rates. It's just a way to get you to call. Listen, at the term lifeline, we'll never quote you a low rate hoping you'll call. Then try to sell you something else. But we do promise to get you the best rates available on policies of $500,000 or more with professional service. Don't waste your valuable time. Get the real rates you want on term life insurance policies of
3: $500,000 or more from the Term Lifeline. Call now. 800-957-6068. 800-957-6068. 800-957-6068.
0: Online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program, offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center, call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Adopt US Kids presents multiple choice parenting.
2: You've messed up your daughter's haircut. Do you a it's spiritual?
0: Mom, where's the mirror? Beauty is within. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. Welcome back to the Law Enforcement Today Show. Joining us on the phone, we have retired police officer, police detective, Mario Olivero. What was the agency you worked for retired from, Mario? I
1: worked for the Somerville Police Department in massachusetts which is uh, right on the outskirts of boston
0: okay and when you said when the last part of your career the, the night that you were shot you were detailed to the atf the alcohol tobacco and firearms
1: that's correct in boston
0: for those who don't understand, federal agencies like DEA, FBI, ATF, they often bring, they create task force where they bring in local officers, they deputize them as U.S. Marshals so they have federal powers, and then they work helping in that area because they have hands-on experience with the area, where a lot of times the Federals that come from another area don't. I'm not saying it's a negative, I'm just saying that's the way it is. That's
1: correct. That's correct and also you know lo- the local officers generally have informants embedded in those communities who can provide valuable valuable information on on uh, on investigations and what not and there's also the 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 asset side you know when a local officer that's attached to a task force—they make a great case, and there's forfeitures, seizures mm-hmm. like vehicles, cash. The the agency that the officer comes from will benefit from some of those seizures. It can get
0: some some funding. Yeah, I, I, do, I, I do. know about that. I was I was detailed at DEA when I was in Baltimore, uh, and was deputy U.S. marshal for about a year and a half before getting promoted. And you know, it's kind of a prestigious thing for for a local officer as well. It's it's kind of being recognized as as really knowing your job and being good at what you do. Correct not everybody has this as an option so when they they picked you they must have said hey this guy this detective olivera is on the ball he knows what's going on I, I was a busy guy that's for sure yeah yeah that's the way i was trying not to be sometimes never could pull it off uh, so let's talk about uh, the day or the night that your life changed uh, start from the very beginning
1: sure so uh, in early October I had been assigned a uh, what we call in, with the ATF an administrative case in law enforcement you know we have the sexy cases where you're buying guns and drugs from drug dealers and gang bangers in the ATF and then we have administrative cases so in 1968 through the uh, Gun Control Act there was a law that was passed that it required it made um, local gun dealers or gun stores it made them report multiple transactions to the local ATF. Mm -hmm. So in Massachusetts that's all over the country if someone buys more than two firearms within a span of five days that store owner or the store is required to report those transactions to the local ATF.
0: And that doesn't mean that all of them are shady or criminal No, but some of them are and it's a great indicator that, that it might be illegal activity.
1: That's right it's just the checks and balances of the game
0: and it's up to us
1: to go out and my job generally is just to go knock on that person's door introduce myself as an ATF agent and say, hey, you you recently purchased several firearms from ABC Gun Store Uh, may I see the firearms may may I see the paperwork and once the paperwork's in order and the guns are properly stored like they should be no problems I leave, I write a little affidavit a little paragraph that went in checked everything's checked out okay and the case is closed
0: well, that obviously wasn't the case on this one particular day because you were yeah. up being shot.
1: Right, so it, it it didn't happen in one day. So what happened was I learned about this young man who was from my own city, who had purchased 10 firearms in the span of eight days. And right away I said, geez, what is this kid up to? And I dug a little deeper, and I went into my own um, police database for my department, and I remembered that I had arrested this kid three years prior for a gun charge on an armed robbery with a sawed off shotgun.
0: Well, that's a big red flag.
1: Yeah. So now the red flags are sticking up like you wouldn't believe. And I'm thinking, how is this kid buying guns in another state when he has gun charges on his border probation check on his BOP, on his criminal history? How is this possible? And through my investigation, I learned that this young man had friended somebody on Facebook and paid him 500 bucks to put his name on the on a lease on a residence in New Hampshire. And in the state of New Hampshire, the, the gun laws are different. Mm-hmm. You just have to walk in with a license and show that you're a resident of that state and you can buy firearms.
0: Even still today. And exa-
1: yeah, and that's exactly what this kid did was he paid this, this other kid that he met on Facebook, on social media, and said, hey, put my name on your lease to show that I live here, which he really didn't. And on October 8th, he went in to the DMV and obtained a new, a newly acquired driver's license, and within 40 minutes of getting that new license, he walked into ABC Gun Store and purchased two firearms, and then he repeated this process every other day that week and got 10 guns.
0: Now, before we go further, I want people to understand one thing, and I can't speak for you, but I can say that majority of law enforcement officers that I know of are very pro-Second Amendment. And we're not talking about being anti-gun here. We're talking about anti-criminals with guns. That's the problem. I just want to get the Sorry. clarification out because right now someone's going, hey, you, you, you know what happens, and people love to jump to conclusions, and that's not what we're talking about here.
1: No, not at all. This is a person who's committed crimes in the past was arrested for it, not ultimately convicted, but arrested for it, and how is he able to purchase firearms in another state, and why? And why is he doing it in another state? So I call this this young man up, and using a ruse, and for those of you that are non-law enforcement, a ruse is a attack that police officers use that will try to convince someone to come and meet us at the police station or a location under a Under the auspices of, you know, a fake, something fake, but you really want to talk to them about a case that you don't really want to, you know, give up too much information. So you trick them into meeting you.
0: Right. And that's, that's, that's totally legal, but it's another thing too, people get all up in arms about is called reasonable subterfuge. That's the legal term that the Supreme Court has given us that, you know, I didn't tell someone, Hey, right away, look, I, I, I want to talk to you about a murder. Right. Uh, you, you and I both know that as law enforcement officers, you don't come right out and show your cards right up front. You just don't do that. That w- that would be stupid. Right. So you tricked the guy and they're talking to you. Yeah. So he agreed to meet
1: with me at the police station, and he, then the following day he came in voluntarily on his own. And you know he's a young kid, twenty-one years old. And, and to be honest with you, I felt I felt bad for him. I really mm-hmm. did. You know, and I sat him down along with my partner and we, you know, chatted a little bit and I asked him for his license and he gave me his New Hampshire driver's license that I knew he just acquired. But all the while he had a mass active Massachusetts driver's license, which is illegal. Okay. You cannot hold two active driver's licenses from dual states. That's illegal.
0: Now, this, and guy, actually, had, this guy had no idea that you knew what was up at that point.
1: No, not at that point. After photographing both licenses, I came back into the interview room. I looked at my partner, and we gave each other the old nod and said, you know what, it's time to just lay down the hammer. So we looked at him, and we said, hey, you know, I'm not going to name his name on the radio, but we said, hey... You're not here because we want to talk to you about a photo array because that's the trick that I used. I was going to show this guy a series of photos to see if he can identify someone who had assaulted him over the summer. And I said, you're not here for a photo array. You're here because we know you purchased 10 firearms within 10 days. And we want to see the guns that you bought. And he just looked at both of us. Tears started streaming from his eyes. And he just turned white as a ghost. And I knew I had him at that moment. Mm-hmm. So I leaned over towards him, over the, you know, towards, over the table, and I said, where are the guns? You have them, correct? And he just nodded and said, no, I don't have them. And I said, you just bought them a week ago. Where are these guns? And he just said, I don't have them. And at, at that point, I had a list. I had gone to the, the firearm store to to get a printout of all the transactions that he had made. So I had the serial numbers, the makes and models of the firearms and how much he paid for them, mm-hmm. the dates and times that he made the purchases. So, you know, after my partner, you know, t- speaking with him, telling him what kind of trouble he was going to be in with, with the federal government for trafficking firearms, he he gave it up. He said, you know what? Listen, I don't have the guns. I've been selling them to gang members in Boston. And we asked him, "Tell me, tell me the scam. How do you do it?" And he said, "Well, I've been dealing with this gang member, and he told us his nickname on the street. He said he'll call me up and he'll ask me to buy him a 9mm or a 40 cal, and I'll go up to the store, I'll pay, for cash with my money, and then I meet up with this guy later in Boston at a school, undisclosed location, and he pays me 1700 bucks.
0: Wow, we are talking with retired police detective Mario Oliveira, uh, shot in the line of duty, catastrophically injured. Uh, thank goodness he, re- he recovered and is with us today to tell us his story. Listen, law enforcement today, we'll take to a short break, we'll be right back.
3: Americans are going crazy for a new Italian diet pill that burns three times more fat than dieting alone. And the next 100 callers get three bottles for free. Sold under the brand name Invigorate 3X, this powerful pill triggers metabolic acceleration, a process that's deficient to most Americans, making weight loss a hassle. But a new study shows 30 pounds gone in 90 days with just two capsules a day. Julie B. of Nashville says, I was skeptical, but when I saw a famous doctor made it, I decided to try it. I was shocked. I lost 16 pounds in six weeks. For a limited time, our listeners get three free bottles with a qualifying order. Call 1-800-932-1786 now to get started. Call in the next 10 minutes and also get a free bottle of the doctor's Ultra Detox. And don't forget your free 14-day diet fix. No obligation and 100% free when you call right now. 800-932-1786 800-932-1786. Are
2: you struggling with vision loss as you get older? Do you have a child who is blind or losing their vision? Are you a blind person wondering how you'll succeed in school, at work, or as a parent? We can help. The National Federation of the Blind knows that blindness doesn't have to keep you from living the life you want. We invite you to learn more about us and how we can help at nfb.org. The National Federation of the
0: Blind. Live the life you want. The Law Enforcement Today radio show has grown so much and so rapidly, we now have two Facebook pages. You can do a search on Facebook for... Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. That's a new page. Be sure to click like when you get there and follow. In addition, we have our main page, which is Law Enforcement Today. So do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today and be sure to click like and follow that one as well. Like I said, we've got two Facebook pages now. So when you have a chance, if you haven't done so already, the easiest way to keep up with all the news and updates regarding the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show Also, a great way to interact and contact me is to like and follow our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show to our conversation with retired police detective Mario Olivera Mario is a retired police detective and you can find out why he's retired in just a few moments we're talking about your detailed to the ATF you've got a guy in here who's doing straw purchases and selling these guns uh, like 10 of them to uh, gang members admittedly and last time we talked we left off you're at the police station interviewing him and he's giving up all the information where does it go from there?
1: So he gives up the whole the whole deal, the whole scheme of how he's you know, asked to go buy these guns, he's making a huge profit on the guns and these guns are going to the hands of the wrong people. Right. The very people that are shooting innocent civilians on drive bys and whatnot in the inner cities and that's a no no. So of course my mentality as a, a task force officer is I want the bigger fish, because isn't that ultimately what we're always after? Yep. The big fish. So I'm thinking, if I can parlay this kid into working for me and can get me into this gang, that's a huge win for the ATF and for me personally as a, a local detective. So I give him the offer of a lifetime. I say to him, hey, I'm gonna give you a deal. I call the U.S. Attorney's Office and I said, you can work for me as an informant, And we can do some reverse buys. And what I mean by that is the ATF will often give a gun to an informant that has no firing pin. It can't be fired. Right. And then we'll we'll swoop in once the deal is consummated, and get that target. So that's what I offered him. I said, hey, we're gonna go tomorrow. You're gonna meet us here. We're gonna give you a couple of guns to call this, and you're gonna call this gang member, and sell him these guns that are ours. And then we'll swoop in and take those guys out. And then we'll we'll, we'll repeat this process until we get everybody in the gang under arrest.
3: And did he jail. take
0: that offer? I mean, did, did it something he wanted to do?
1: he didn't want to do it initially he balked at it he said he wasn't a snitch you know he's from somerville he you know that's not how he rolls yeah, and we we've
0: that forever and then they then they turn around when they've got the big hammer over. Right. of what they're supposed to do so right. they all see that when he yeah. found
1: out right when he found out that he was going to do over 20 years in federal prison he had that he had a change of heart
0: yeah in federal prison by the way that's no probation no parole if you get sentenced to 20 you do 20. That's exactly right. Not like state laws, not like state courts and state prisons. You do every day that you're supposed to do.
1: That's right. So um, we had arranged, he had agreed, he had agreed, we had arranged to meet at my department the following day where we were going to do this big reverse operation. Uh ATF was going to provide this individual with two firearms that he was going to sell to the gang members. We were gonna tell him to pick a certain location where we were all gonna be there waiting, and when the deal was consummated, we were gonna swoop in and make these arrests. Gotcha. Well, that's pretty standard. Ne- yeah, the next day came, and my supposed CI, this this kid who I gave a great a great opportunity to, never showed up. Mm-hmm. He blew me off. So that prompted my supervisor. To order me to get arrest warrants in federal court, he failed to comply. We gave him a, an opportunity of a lifetime. Now he's going to prison. So later on that night, after you know everybody went home, I ha- I received a call from an unknown number, and it was an individual, and he told me, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the police, the ATF. I'm not working with you guys. I've changed my mind. Okay. I'm not a rat. And I said, okay, you—you've left us no no choice. You know, you're, you're going to jail, and I'm going to get you. And um, so the next morning, I went to federal court and uh, re- applied for uh, federal uh, arrest warrants. They were granted and put in the system.
0: So you get the warrants, and then you go to apprehend the guy. And yeah, I'm not I'm trying to rush you, law. I know we're running short on time. When how did that happen? I mean, was it like I met with gunfire immediately, or did you walk up to the guy, or, or what was the deal? No, about a month later. Um, so he was in the wing. He was he
1: disappeared. About a month later, my partner and I decided we were working a night shift together, and we decided to go buy his house, his mother's house, to see if he was around to lock him up on the warrant. Okay. And as we pulled up, we were parked across the street in a little uh, small parking lot watching the house. He came out of his house. He approached the vehicle, I approached the vehicle. I was alone at the time. My partner was gonna come up the street the, wa- the, the wrong way with his unmarked vehicle and box him in. It was election night in the city. So we, we had to really be careful how we were gonna affect this arrest. because mm-hmm. we, we don't want this kid taken off and running innocent people over. So I made it to the front door his driver's door he was already in the front driver's seat started his car I opened the door I grabbed him by his neck had a gun to his head and I'm giving him commands I had my badge outside of my sweatshirt he knew who I was he had met with me and I, I was ordering him out of the car and to shut the car off he was yelling at me telling me to shoot him shoot me and shoot me he was screaming at me just shoot me, shoot me. And of course, you know, I'm hesitant a little bit because I don't see a gun, it's, it's, it's dark out. And I paused for that split second. And at that moment, I heard my sergeant screaming my name, and I looked over the roof of his vehicle to see where my sergeant was. And when I looked back down into the vehicle, I just saw flashes, and I heard boom, 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 boom. He had shot me at point-blank range six times. That quick. In my chest
0: and stomach, that, that fast, split second. And what caliber weapon was this? He shot you with a forty cal. So you got shot six times in the upper torso with a forty caliber. That's right. No vest. No vest. Less than two feet away, brother. It is a a, an absolute miracle that you are alive to talk about it. Uh, And I know there's a lot more to go in, but when you were shot, it, it had to be in. Look, I don't, I don't know where to tell you. Because I've, fortunately never been shot. When you were shot, you noticed a gunfire. Did you immediately lose consciousness? No,
1: I never lost consciousness. I I fell on my butt. I was trying to compose myself to figure out what to do next. Do I I run for cover? Do I shoot back? What do I do? But everything was in slow motion and Uh echoing. And all I heard was... Gunshot after gunshot, pop, 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 pop. There were um, approximately sixty-two rounds shot during this this gunfight.
0: So Electively. he was he was shooting at the your other backup officers as well, not just you. No, I
1: don't know if he fired. He may have fired them. I'm not sure. He was in the car. My backup officers were shooting in three different directions into the vehicle. We had a lieutenant that was running up, shooting through the front windshield. That sergeant that I said was calling my name, he was shooting at the bad guy from the sidewalk through the passenger window. And my partner from the ATF had retreated and went to the back of the car, was shooting through the back windshield at him. So he was getting shot at three different directions. And I was right within five feet of the driver's door. And my partner had the the sense, because he's he's a combat vet, and he had left his post and dragged me across the street and left me under a parked car. So I was out of the line of fire. The shooting went on for several, what appeared to me was several minutes, but it wasn't that long. Um, And then the ambulance came and took me to uh, the hospital. And there's more details to this, but I, I never lost consciousness. I knew that if I was talking, and I was awake. I was
2: alive.
0: We're going to take a and short break. On girl. that note, we are talking with retired police detective Mario Oliveira. You're listening to Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We will be right back.
2: Are you working so hard to make a living you can't take time to make any real money? Is every day the same boring routine going nowhere and the money runs out before the month? My name is Ron Legrand and for over 35 years now I've been helping clients take their life back by buying and selling houses with no money, credit, experience, or license. If you'll call 800-956-0677... 24 hours and leave a message, I'll send you my new book and CD absolutely free so you can see how. I've bought hundreds of houses and trained thousands to do the same. Call 800-956-0677 and get your free starter kit until 500 are gone. You'll learn how to make a full-time income on a part-time basis without risk, largely tax-free, and get 90% of the work done for you for pennies. That's 800-956-0677. 800-956-0677. Again, 800-956-0677. That's 800-956-0677.
1: My name is Lola Silvestri, and I'm going to be 95 this year. I was very independent. I fell and I had to have Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch.
0: One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at Lunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Back to our conversation with retired police detective Mario Olivera. I'm so grateful that you survived and I'm so grateful that you're taking time to tell us uh, about the night that you were shot six times, virtually point blank, no vest, which uh, I don't even want to cover that. That's a discussion in that could occupy 40 minutes in and of itself. And it was six times with a 40 caliber pistol. Those are massive injuries And the fact that you are alive is a testament to uh, somebody up above and and the medical personnel that took care of you. How how bad were you, shape were you in when they got you to the hospital?
1: Well, I was, uh, if I can send you videos of the doctor, they said I was dying. I had lost so much blood, but luckily for me, the hospital was only like a 10 minute ride and I have to credit the state police for doing a great job, but they were, I was told they were pushing vehicles out of the way with their push bars. So for those of you out there who, who always critique why do cops have those push bars on the bumpers, there's a reason for that, and they came, they came in awfully handy that night. They were pushing vehicles out of the way at intersections to get my ambulance, the paramedics, through to the hospital.
0: And that was Every part of the reason why conflict. you're alive. That's right. The doctor said you, you uh, were in danger of dying. Did you actually come close or did you pass away uh, during the treatment? I was told yeah, I
1: was told by my surgeon um, and other doctors that I had died on them twice. Uh, the first time was en route to the operating room, from the emergency room to the operating room. and then when they put me on the operating table to operate on me, my heart had stopped again for a, a, they said over a little over two minutes.
0: Obviously so when your heart stopped you weren't dead. conscious, but were you conscious prior to that or were you you know unconscious?
1: No, I I was conscious because I, I told them about a nurse that I that I had met in the ER that I was talking to me and comforting me. This nurse was talking to me and comforting me. And I was able to tell them about this conversation that I had with this nurse who later who I later found out never existed. She was never there. And I was able to tell the doctors certain things that happened on our trip from the ER to the OR that I shouldn't have known because my heart was, wasn't was beating. It, it had stopped. They were giving me chest compressions. I don't know how or why, but that's what I remember, and that's what I was told. And I was told I was very accurate. I was 100% on point, but the doctors couldn't believe that I was able to tell them that.
0: Was there any explanation anybody had for this vision of this nurse comforting you that didn't exist?
1: Uh, No, I later found out when I brought this nurse up was the day that I woke up a day and a half later in the ICU. And the doctor had told me that he had used a a maneuver that he used out on the field. He's a lieutenant colonel in the Army who has done six tours to Iraq and Afghanistan so I was blessed to have him on duty that night his name is Dr. David King and he's my hero he told me that because I had died on the table he had cut my diaphragm rather than breaking uh splitting my breastbone he had cut a hole in my diaphragm and reached in with his own hand and squeezed my heart and got it pumping again
0: I really don't well, know imagine. what to say about that, brother, because it just, you know, i any anybody who's done uh, police work for a period of time is going to see some of these emergency trauma s- surgeries that are done in the emergency room, because you've got to be there in case there's a dying declaration made, and they're horrific to see. And I'm just trying my best not to visualize that.
1: Yeah, so as he's telling me this procedure, this maneuver... That's the word that he used, a maneuver that he made, a last-ditch effort to save me. You know, of course, I'm crying. I can't believe I'm hearing this. My parents are crying, and my wife is crying. They're all at my bedside when I first woke up. And I have a feeding tube in my nose and whatnot, and I'm thanking him. And that's when I said, listen, there was a nurse here that night that comforted me. Can you get her for me as well? I want to talk to her, and I want to thank her for comforting me. She put me at ease. And he said... What nurse? And I described her to him. And he was nodding. He said, there was nobody on my trauma team that looked like that. No one even remotely, even close. I don't know who who in the world you're talking about. And I told him, yeah, you know, you guys did this. You took the corner, the Gurney I was on almost topped over, toppled over. And he said, wait a minute, how did you know that? You were, you were dead. And I said, no, I was awake. He said, no, my friend, your heart had stopped. You're 100% accurate. I don't know how you know this, but you're right. So I I puzzled everybody in the room. And my mom at that point, when I had described this nurse, she had collapsed, crying to the floor. I wasn't sure why. I later found out three weeks later when I got home from the hospital, my mom had come over and she had, she was clutching onto a, a picture frame. And when she came to my house, She gave me the picture, said, I need you to hang this up on your wall at home. I looked at it. I just started crying. I said, Oh my God, this was the nurse. This was the nurse that helped me. It was my grandmother, my mom's mom who had died 20 years ago.
0: Mm. That was the nurse. Give me goosebumps. This is the the stuff that can't be explained, but. You know, I, I I believe in in uh, God and a higher power, and I believe that was some sort of divine intervention. That's the only explanation I can come up with.
1: And another gift that God gave me The day I got home from the hospital. My wife found out she was pregnant.
0: Wow, <laughs> man! All right, I got to bring up the son, Kleenex. You are you're you're yeah. slaying me over here. And my son, my son Tyler was
1: born on my birthday. Wow. God gave me the gift of life, twice.
0: So you, you gave survived those injuries, which most people would not. Uh, That's right. And were you able to return to work for a while? I did. I, I went back in five months. I pushed myself to get back. Five months. Not to recuperate. I
1: didn't, I didn't six want to be. Yeah, I didn't want to be a hero. I just wanted to be me again. Mm-hmm. I want. I wanted to go out and work. And now, you know, guess what? I have a three-year-old little boy at home, and now a newborn that's going to be born in a few months. You know, so I had a financial plan like we all do as cops to give our family the best life that we can give them. So I had to get back out there. And plus, I love my job. Like I, I mentioned earlier on in the show, I needed to get back to being me again. I was sick and tired of being home and being that frail person, you know, wounded and just hurt. I needed to be back to normal. So I forced myself to go back to work. I wasn't ready, to be honest with you, but I did. I went back. Only to suffer a major heart attack eight months later
0: And how old were you when you had this heart attack 42 years old right so that's, uh, that's awfully young
1: and I've never had any heart issues I'm in good shape I've never I, no diabetes no high blood pressure nothing no heart diseases nothing doctors concluded I have it in writing that the heart attack was um, connected to the injuries I sustained in my shooting, because one of the bullets that went that I got shot with went in the right side of my chest, through my liver, across my chest cavity, and missed my heart by two millimeters, and it came out on the other side.
0: So you literally are a walking miracle, not just for surviving this gunshot wound, surviving the, the big heart attack as well. At, were you retired after that?
1: No, um, I, I'm sorry, I, I did, I, I, att- I attempted to retire. It took me a year and a half to finally retire. And then I had a stroke on June 30th of 2015, connected to the heart attack and the shooting.
0: How difficult was the retirement process for you? Did they make it easy or was it difficult?
1: No, it was very difficult. I was pretty much, my department was phenomenal. My chief was great, my deputy chiefs, they would always call me every week. It was getting an answer from the mayor's office. From City Hall that was the worst and I'll tell you I'll be very honest with you the emotional trauma that I received from that year and a half of being left out in the dark hurt me more than taking six rounds
0: I believe you I believe you uh, unfortunately we are running so out of time we're going to have to have you back on the show to talk more about your organization before we wrap this up though tell people of the name of the organization that you co-founded and how they can get more details
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, our website is VI vipo 911org vipo 911org We also have a Facebook page It's called Supporters of Violently Injured Police Officers Look us up on Facebook Join our group Follow what Bob DiNapoli and I are doing We are traveling the country Bringing awareness to, to this issue That's a nationwide epidemic And we try to make some changes By bringing laws and creating benefits For the critically injured That are often forgotten
0: Mario Oliveira, thanks so very much For coming on the Law Enforcement Today show We will definitely have you back in the future to talk more about your organization. Well,
1: thank you, sir. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. In every community across the United States, towns, cities, states, we have law enforcement officers. We have first responders. We have incredible stories of heroism from our first responders. From law enforcement officers, EMTs, paramedics, firefighters, in addition to that, we have heroic crime victim survivors. If you wanna tell your story of survival and how you recovered and how you rebuilt your life, feel free to contact us. We'd love to have you as a guest on the Law Enforcement Today Show. We made it so easy to get a hold of us, too. There's many different ways. Go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. The Contact Us page is the web page. Download our free app on our website, lawenforcementtoday.com. You can contact us through the free app. You can contact us on our Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. Heck, send me an email. My email address is j. that's jay, at lawenforcementtoday.com. You see... We'd love to hear your story. And we know, we hear so often, I have a story to tell, but no one will give me a platform. Law Enforcement Today is your platform. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us here at Law Enforcement Today. On behalf of everyone associated with the show and the website, this is John J. Wiley. Until next time, see ya.